Hey guys, welcome to Hallowed Groundling. I hope you're having a really great week. Uh, Here we are. It's August 31st. Can you believe it? Tomorrow is September 1st. It's just crazy. I can't believe it. The summer is uh, wrapping up and we're coming into my favorite time of the year, the fall. I love the fall. I, I I like summer okay, but I don't know. I get a little tired of it. I love the fall. I love when it's like cool and, you know... The weather changes, the the leaves change. I love all that time. So I'm excited to go into the fall every year. And plus it's Halloween, which is pretty much my favorite holiday. (laughs) It is my favorite holiday. Who am I kidding? And uh, I'm really excited for that. So let's, uh, let's get right into our Flashback Friday Fright Fest this week, which is the second part of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So uh, I did one, two, and three last week, and I... You know, I don't know if I conveyed this when I did the first uh, podcast, but I really love this series so much. Um, it's it's always been one of my favorites. Nancy is most definitely one of my favorite favorite horror movie heroines, along with you know Laurie Strode from Halloween. And I, I love Nancy so much, and I love how Heather Langenkamp plays her. And I you know, and of course, I love Robert England. I think he's amazing. Um, if you guys follow me, I'm sure you saw that. You know, I got to meet Robert England at. Um, at the Connecticut Comic Con, and uh, it was it was a really great moment. I, I he takes a long time though in line. I, if for anybody who has met him, you can relate. I actually was I was so excited to meet him at Rhode Island Comic Con last year. He was there, and I was kind of saving him. I was savoring. I went to his his panel with Lisa Wilcox. Um, Bill and I went to that, and then. We, you know, and I was kind of savoring and waiting, and then I, I waited until Sunday, and sure enough, I waited too long. And I mean, it was literally like I think five hours, four hours before the con was ending, but they had to cut his line off because he just talks to people. And I learned this as well when I went to see him in Connecticut. But when he was, I found out he was coming to Connecticut, I said, I can't miss him. You know, this was back in June. And I went to see him. I think I've told this story before, but I don't care. I'm talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, so I can tell it again. Um, but, you know, I was so excited to meet him. And uh, it was at the end of June, and I went up with my mom to Foxwoods to go to the, the con. And I got I was so sick. I, I had a really, really bad cold, um, bordering probably on a flu. And I was not feeling well at all. I was, I, I was taking medicine, and I was just trying to trudge through. And we were in line for, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was almost three hours we were in line for him. Um, and I mean, the line wasn't that long. It's just that he talks to everybody. He's he's very, loves his fans. You can tell he does. He's very, um, he's very silly, you know. I, one of the funniest stories, there's, there's, well, the best story of all is at the end, but, but the, one of the funniest stories, we were standing in line, my mom and I, and there was a man with three little girls, and the three little girls weren't paying attention at all. All three had iPads, and they were sitting on the floor. And Robert England looked up and saw them, and we were, you know, we were in the kind of the queue line, so we were in front of him for a while while we were waiting, you know, for other people to get through the line. And he saw the little girls, and he's like, "Are those my Freddy girls?" And he's like, "One, two, Freddy's coming for you." And like all three of them, none of them were paying attention, and neither was the father. And we all were laughing hysterically. And he's like, "Oh, well, I guess not," you know. And like we were just cracking up because these little girls had absolutely no idea that he was saying this, and I don't even think they probably knew who he was. But still, it was pretty funny. And um, he was so charming when we went up. My um, my mother was like the cutest. She <laughs> she said, "You have the most beautiful blue eyes." To him, and he said, "Well, actually, they're green." 
he's like, but they look blue all the time, you know, and he raised his glasses. He had these like blue tinted eyeglasses and, um, you know, and he was like, you know, telling us great stories. And, and when I went to take a picture of him signing my, uh, my poster, he said, take the picture like Freddie. And it was great, you know, and which made me really happy and made me laugh. And, um, he was charming and wonderful and I was so ill and I like left with my mom and I said, okay, I need to go and lay down now. You know, and I literally like, we went out and we, we, we checked in our room and I just got in bed and I did not move until like the next morning. But the coolest story of all, and you can see this on my Instagram and, uh, on the Facebook for, uh, Howard Growling. And my mom went down to the restaurant to go get dinner and she she was so sweet, you know, I was so sick and she wanted to like, you know, get me something and I really wanted soup. So she went and she found me miso soup. I'm a vegetarian. So she went out and found me miso and she got me some rice and, you know, and she brought it back up to the room. So it would be hot, you know, and she wanted to go play and gamble and have fun. And, and she just like, you know, was as usual, the best mom. And she like took care of me so well. And, and she went back down. She said, well, I'm going to go have dinner and then I'm going to go, you know, play the slot machines while I said, okay, no problem, mom. And I'm, you know, half asleep in bed, laying there trying, you know, eating my miso soup. And all of a sudden I get a text from my mom and she says, oh my God, you're never going to believe who's sitting at the bar. And she takes a picture and it's Robert England. And she's like sitting literally right behind him. She was seated at like a, a two person table right behind the bar. And he's sitting at the bar and he's talking to this couple, you know, and he's just chatting. And she says, I said, oh my God, look at that. And she said, she's like, I'm going to go talk to him. And I'm like, what do you mean you're going to go talk? And I'm like, mom, what do you mean you're going to talk to him? You know, and about maybe like, you know, 10 minutes later, she's like, he's still talking to that couple. I'm like, mom, what are you doing? You know? And then about like 15 minutes or 20 minutes after that, I get a video from my mom, which is the Robert England video, which basically he, she asked him, she went up to him and, and what she said was, you know, do you remember me? I, I came into line before and I said, you have beautiful blue eyes. And he said, I do, I do. And he said, you know, she's like, oh, I was with my daughter. And he goes, where's your daughter? He says, she's like, oh, she's really sick. Like she waited in your line. She was so excited to meet you and she, you made her day and she just loves you. And she's like, you know, would you say hi to her? It would make her like, it would just, it would make her so happy. You know, she's, she's sick in the hotel room. And he said, Oh no. And he said, sure. So my mom just recorded. And of course, you know, he said, Aaron, I'm at the bar with your mother. (laughs) He's like, she and I are going to go see Reba get better bitch. Bye bye. You know, and it was like, it it was just the funniest thing ever. And I love the video. I cherish it because it was amazing. Um, but it was so much fun. And I love that story. And I had to tell it midway through this again. I'm sure I told it before, but it was just a, it was a wonderful moment. And, um, you know, my mom's amazing. <laughs> she just like went up to Robert England and asked him to do that. And he did, you know, cause he's, he's just so cool to his fans. I have to say that it was worth every minute of waiting in line for him because he was so cool. And he, um, he signed my poster beautifully. It's, it's all in uh, red, um, red marker. So it matches. I got the classic original Nightmare on Elm Street poster signed and uh, he wrote sweet dreams you know and, and for Aaron and and then he signed to you know Freddie and then he put Robert England at the bottom so it, it, he did such an you know he's just so sweet and he was like what color do you want it he, he just makes sure that everybody's happy when they leave his table which is just so wonderful and charming of him I think so that's my little Robert England boost he's a great guy I really like him a lot and I would definitely go meet him again and stand in line again because I just love him so much so let's get right into it now, um, after I've told that huge story, 
Um, so, of course, the next movie in the series is A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which is The Dream Master. Uh, that came out in 1988, which didn't come out long after uh, Dream Warriors. And uh, this one was directed by Rennie Harlan. Uh, Rennie Harlan is a Finnish director. Uh, it's actually, he got, he was, he made a couple of movies before he made uh, part four. He, he made a movie called Prison, and uh, but he was dirt poor. Like, he was really not successful and wasn't doing well. And he basically begged Bob Shea and the people at New Line to take, you know, on the directing helmet. And Bob Shea did not want to give it to him because he was like a no-name and nobody knew who he was. And he was just this big, tall Finnish guy. And they would like, but he kept coming. He was so persistent. He really wanted to direct it. And he just kept bothering them at New Line, basically, until finally they just, you know, they, they, they said, okay, fine, you know, you can direct it. And, um... You know, just full disclosure, he he like directed the movie, and then literally, I guess, got a call. This was in um, in uh, uh, Never Sleep Again, the documentary. He got a call from Steven Spielberg uh, the day after Dream Master was such a success, and uh, he ended up going in and doing uh, Die Hard Two, and he also directed Deep Blue Sea, which I love. Um, I don't really want to know somebody that doesn't love Deep Blue Sea. It's so wonderfully campy and fantastic. Uh, he's just a really cool director. He was also married to Gina Davis for a little while. He made Cutthroat Island, which she had done, and uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Uh, she did that as well, and he he directed those when they were married. I think they were married for like five or six years. And, um, yeah, so it's pretty cool. And another neat uh, person that was in it was, uh, well, was working on the crew, I should say, a writer. Um, so one of the writers was um, Scott Pierce, and that's the pseudonym for the Wheat Brothers, uh, who, you know, they were they were co-writers. But one of the lead writers on it was Brian Helgeland. Um, Brian Helgeland is an amazing writer. Uh, he is from my home, well, my adopted hometown of Providence, Rhode Island, which is really cool. And he also, uh, he graduated with his um, bachelor's from UMass Dartmouth, which I also attended very, very briefly. <laughs> um, but I did a lot of theater there and everything. So I, I love UMass Dartmouth and he did, he did go there. He was uh, nominated for an Oscar for Mystic River, uh, for writing the screenplay for Mystic River, which was set in Boston. And he actually won for uh, writing LA Confidential. He won an Oscar for that. So, and he is the writer of uh, Dream Master. So that's pretty cool. He was also a fisherman in New Bedford, um, where I'm originally from, where I was born in Massachusetts. So pretty cool, uh, local, local dude and, uh, you know, very, very talented. So let me just give like kind of a brief synopsis of Dream Master. So it basically, it picks up not long after Dream Warriors, the, uh, the kids are out of the asylum and their home and the opening is Kincaid is, uh, he falls asleep and uh, he falls into the dream world, and it picks up basically right into the um, the the junkyard where his bones were left at the end by Nancy's father and um, Glenn. Glenn, no, not Glenn. Sorry. Um, why is anyway the doctor? I can't remember his name. Off. Sorry about that. But yeah, so you know what I mean. Left the bones at the end of uh, part three, and Kincaid wakes up inside the the same place and uh, he his dog is in the dream i love that the dog's name is jason that always makes me laugh every single time i remember seeing the movie for the first time and when he said jason everybody laughed because it was just such a moment um it was a neat little trick in the doorway i love that too when kincaid wakes up and he the door is slightly open and there's this really like shadow that looks so much like freddie and it's the dog's head like the dog all of a sudden pushes his face in and it's it's him and he says jason so it's kind of a like oh 
funny moment, you know, when he, when he says the name of the dog. Um, so basically it picks up right from there. Uh, Kristen and Joey and Kincaid who were left from dream warriors, they're all out They're in high school and they start dreaming about Freddie again. And, and they don't know why he's all of a sudden back into people's, into people's dreams. And, um, very quickly, both uh, Joey, Kincaid, and Kristen are killed off. Uh, but they introduce the character of Alice and her twin brother. Um, oh, am I having a, a moment here? Oh, Rick. Sorry. It <laughs> just took a moment. Uh, they introduce them and their friends, you know, Alice is friends with Kristen. And basically what happens is, is Kristen passes her power to Alice. Um, she, she like sends her that. And then Alice kind of gathers everybody's power into her as they, as they die during the film. Alice is played by Lisa Wilcox. Uh, she's amazing. I love Alice. She's, she's a really great addition to the story. She's really strong and wonderful. Uh, Lisa Wilcox plays her really well. She, I got to see her also at uh, Comic-Con and she had some great stories to tell when she could get a word in edgewise next to Robert England because he talks a lot, uh, <laughs> as I said before. And, you know, it's it, this one is really, I love Dream Master. I think it's a great story. There are so many wonderful uh, moments in it. You know, all of the, the dreams are so interesting. And uh, some of the neat facts about it was it was it was the highest grossing of all of the films except Freddy vs. Jason, which which won the top one. And it came out not long after Dream Warriors. It was pretty much right on the tail of Dream Warriors. And I, I think that it, like, there was a lot put into it. It was done really well. Um, there's so many neat scenes in it. A couple of my favorites. I love the Roach Motel scene. I think that one's wonderful with uh, with Debbie when when she's, you know, the character Debbie played by Brooke Thies when she's uh, literally like, you know, inside the Roach Motel. I love that scene. And it's it's just done really well. Um, there's some really good... The time loop is, is a favorite scene of mine where, you know, it just keeps turning into the same scene over and over again, which is a little, like, creepy. And I've had that happen in dreams where I've had, felt like I've been on a record. It's just very strange. And uh, I liked that they added that addition to the movie. Another thing was uh, a little little fun fact was the diner that Alice worked at was called the Crave Inn. <laughs> so for Wes Craven. And um, it, you know, this film was very, very successful. It, uh, the success of it actually led to them making Freddy's Nightmares, uh, the series for television, because the, the film did so well that they, they knew they had a really hot commodity on their hands. I think that uh, during um, Never Sleep Again, the documentary, I think that Robert England put it very well when he said that um, it was the MTV nightmare. And it is. It's like a music video. It feels very much like a music video from from the late 80s, early 90s, you know, that you would see on MTV. And uh, they definitely knew what their audience was, and they they did very well. I think Rennie Harlan did an amazing job directing it. So, I mean, I don't um, love it as much as I love Dream Warriors, but I definitely do like Dream Master a lot. I think it's well done. Uh, of course, we have to mention as well, there was uh, Kristen was not played by Patricia Arquette in this. It was, she was played by Tuesday Night, which is a fabulous name. Um, and uh, but they said that you know Patricia Arquette basically wanted money and they didn't want to give it to her. That was that's kind of one 
one of the theories of why she didn't come back. And it's kind of sad because Patricia Arquette played Kristen so well in Dream Warriors. But Tuesday Night did a really solid job. I thought she was great as her. So that's kind of it. Um, Oh, actually, one other thing that I did want to mention about Brian Helgeland, I've I've forgotten about this. He was actually recommended by Robert England to come on as the writer uh, because he had written 976 Evil, which was Robert England's directorial debut, and he he liked him a lot, so he said you should ask him to come and direct uh, the, I'm sorry, write uh, Dream Master. If you hear that rumbling... That's my cat, Jess Bell. She's she's purring because I'm giving her a scratch while I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> and like I said, anytime you hear background noise, it's more than likely my cats. So, But that's about it for the Dream Master. Um, I really, like I said, I like that one a lot, and uh, I think it's a, it's a great film. So moving right along, we'll go to... The Dream Child, which is Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. It came out in 1989. It came out hot on the heels of Dream Master. They uh, were trying to really cash in on the commodity that they had. Uh, It was directed by Stephen Hopkins and written by Leslie Boehm. Uh, Lisa Wilcox came back as Alice. Let me give you a little brief synopsis. So basically, Alice is dating Dan, who was, Dan was in the first film. You know, they kind of a love interest in that one. And uh, she gets pregnant, and Freddie basically is, like, trying to get to her and to the other um, her friends through the baby. So through the baby's dreams is getting into her head. Um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of the premise of it. He's basically, like, possessing her baby to try to get to her and to uh, the other friends. And um, let me give, like... So I'll I'll just give a little bit of my opinion on the film. Um, There are some very neat moments in Dream Child. I will give it that. It's got some some pretty cool, um, you know, moments in it that that are worth mentioning. Uh, The comic book moment is definitely one that is uh, that is really really amazing. Um, The character Mark, uh, who of course I can't remember his his real name off the top of my head at the moment. Uh, That comic book moment with Super Freddy is is wonderful. There's some other, you know, like really fun little, um, like the, I love, I, I love stop motion. I'm always a sucker for stop motion. So of course, um, the character Yvonne, who's played by Kelly Jo Minter, who's a wonderful character actress who was in summer school, you know, she's, she's just a great character actress. And I love that she's in dream child. And I love that she lives at the end, which was like so wild that she got to live at the end of the movie. Um, and she's wonderful. And, and in her scene where she, um, confronts Freddie, there's it's like a um done like stop motion it's pretty cool it's done in stop motion not like stop motion it's done in stop motion and it's really well done really i mean it's just so charming it's so interesting to see you know and we don't see it anymore which is very sad you know i think that was probably the last time we'll you know we'd ever see it if they ever did make another nightmare on elm street movie i doubt we'd ever see it again um but it's you know there's some there's some great moments in it um and, uh, you know, a couple of the other people that I want to mention from the cast, uh, Greta is played by Erica Anderson. Greta is one of Alice's friends. Uh, she, of course, dies in the horrible, you know, she's like a model and she starves herself and she, you know, Freddie basically feeds her herself. Like that whole, that's just so gross. That scene is so disgusting. But I loved like the forced perspective of the, the party guests and, you know, that scene's pretty cool. Um 
And then Jacob, who is the baby, who they show as an older child that comes to Alice kind of like to tell her like to be careful or, you know, there's an omen in a way. Uh, he's played by Whit Hertford. Um, and, and he did a great job as Jacob. He's got a, a great, um, he's still acting too. And he's got a wonderful um, way about him. Very interesting ambiance. I like him as that, that character. However, you know, the film has a lot of flaws. It was definitely slapped together very quickly. It feels very slapdash. It feels like it's just little moments that are put together that you don't really, it doesn't, it's not as cohesive as the other films were. So, you know, it, it, because it was so slapdash, you know, they, they were cashing in quickly. And I, you know, I firmly believe that five, you know, much like one to two, it, the same thing happened with four to five. I think that they, you know, had such a success with part one and they put, you know, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, they put two out so fast, you know, and they, they barely thought about it. They just like slapped a script together and threw it out there. And then the same thing happened with five. I think five, five happened even faster than, than one to two, you know, they just basically just like, let's just keep you know, flooding the market with, with, with Freddie as much as we can and not really think out the story and not really, you know, <laughs> that's a kitty. <laughs> she sees a bird outside. <laughs> so, you know, I think that that was part of it. You know, of course, um, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Rish, Rishla, who is one of the producers, I know I'm pronouncing that wrong. She uh, had had a baby and it was her idea to make a movie about, you know, a baby being born and they wanted to kind of deliver a message about safe sex to kids. And, you know, they were, they, they had a lot of, I think, you know, interesting theories into why they made the story the way they made it. But also, like I said, it wasn't really well thought out. It kind of seemed so like put together. It was the lowest grossing in the series. Um, another way to show that it was slapdash so fast, it, the poster was actually made before the movie was even done. So they had a poster already before the film was even, they had a release date and a poster before the film was even finished you know they hadn't even edited they hadn't done anything yet it was still filming and they had done this it's also the final film in the series to feature the kids from in springwood um and one little interesting tidbit that i did not know about that i found out during my research was that stephen king and frank miller uh frank miller of course you know uh, sin city he's a great graphic artist he, they were both approached to write and direct this film. Um, and um, Stephen Hopkins, who they got, was actually a graphic artist. He did a lot of the storyboards. That was a neat part of, uh, if you watch Never Sleep Again, to see his little storyboards that he made of everything. So he storyboarded every storyboarded everything. I can't talk. I shouldn't talk that fast. <laughs> he storyboarded everything for this film. So that's pretty cool. And... Uh, you know, there's a lot of, like there's like I said, there's great moments in it, but, you know, it's definitely not a favorite of mine in the series, but definitely worth the mention because it is part of the series. So, um, but let's move along. Let's move on to the next in the series, which is Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Um, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare came out in 1991. So it was a little bit of space in between. I think they took a moment to think about what they were doing. It was directed by Rachel Talalay. It is the only film in the series to be directed by a woman. And uh, Rachel is a she. She came up like came up of age in at New Line when it was like nothing. And she was a production assistant on Polyester, which was directed and written by the wonderful John Waters, of course. And I think I told this story about um, the first film is that you know Rachel 
she had worked on the original Nightmare. Like, she worked all the way up through them. So she had a great love for this series, and I think it's really cool that she got to direct one, you know, because she had such a... She had worked on every single one in different capacities, and she was friends with John Waters, and, of course, she showed John Waters the first film. I know I mentioned this before, but I love this story, and he told her it would be a huge hit, like, the minute he saw it. So they remain very good friends, uh, Rachel and John Waters, because he, of course, all of his films were released through New Line. So... Um, it was it was kind of cool because uh, you know they they developed this friendship and uh, one of the cool things is that like the crew was basically the entire crew from Crybaby John Waters film Crybaby was moved over like directly after they had done <laughs> Crybaby they moved on to do Freddy's Dead the Final Nightmare I love this little fact too that at the beginning of the film. When John Doe is sitting on the plane, the woman that's sitting next to him, it was supposed to be Divine, but of course, um, but Divine passed away and when they, like, just before they started filming the movie. So, unfortunately, of course, you know, he could not be a part of the film, but um, the, the entire crew from from all of the Crybaby, he, you know, John Waters uses a lot of the same people, so they all moved over to do that while he, you know, to, well, during the break or whatever. So it's pretty cool. Um, so it was written by um, Michael DeLuca, and um, Michael DeLuca actually is a really big time producer now. Uh, he produces the Oscars every year, he uh, produced the Social Network, Moneyball. He's just this really big time producer now, and he, he wrote the screenplay actually for Freddy's Dead. So let me give a little bit of a, a backstory on it. Um, this kid is coming back to Springwood, and he starts to think that he's Freddie's child. He find they find out Freddie had a child, and uh, like before he was not the dream child, <laughs> but Freddie had a child before you know he was he was killed by the parents of Springwood, and he. Um, you know, he, he thinks he's the child because he keeps, you know, having all these dreams about him. And he, um, goes back to like the hospital where like there's kids that are still like experiencing all the nightmares from, from him, from Freddie. And, uh, you know, the, the story unravels and we find, you know, and of course they're going to go back to Springwood to try to figure out like the mystery of what's going on. And, uh, Springwood has no children in it anymore. And, uh, you know, everybody like is, just lost and, and, you know, Freddie like kind of like cleared the town out basically. And, um, you know, as the story unravels, we, of course we find out that, um, Freddie, she's not, you know, he's not the son. Freddie had a daughter and, uh, you know, and she of course goes into the dreamland to defeat him. Um, <laughs> that's kind of a brief synopsis of it. That's basically what happens. And, um, so this movie, I, I like this movie a lot. You know, I, at first I didn't, I, I kind of wasn't sure how I felt about it, but I actually really like it. It's really well done. It's very tongue in cheek. Um, it's definitely, you know, it, it, I think, you know, when I did the last series about child's play and how, you know, Bride of Chucky went into this kind of silly area. And I think this was the silly, silliest area that, um, that they went into with with it. And I think they were just kind of going whole hog because, of course, they called it Freddy's Dead. It wasn't even called Nightmare on Elm Street. It was called Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. And I think, I know that they thought that they believed this was going to be the last movie. They thought they were going to kill him off and that would be the end. And, you know, of course, we know that doesn't happen. They just keep bringing them back over and over again. Um, but I think that, you know, Rachel had the best intentions when she made this movie, that she really wanted to make it in a really, you know, fun light. And, and she you know, definitely she did, she did a really great job with it. 
Um, so the character of Maggie, who plays Freddie's daughter as a grown-up, uh, is played by Lisa Zane. She's wonderful in it. Um, Carlos is another character. Carlos has hearing aids, and that's one of the most cartoon moments in the entire film with Carlos. Carlos has these hearing aids, and Freddie, like, sneaks up behind him, you know, and he's, like, basically... And it's really kind of discerning when you watch the... Like, uh, disconcerting was what I meant to say, sorry. When you watch the movie because the sound cuts out all of a sudden because it's supposed to be that Freddie, like, turned the hearing aids off and he, like, sneaks up behind him and he's going, ah, like, he's screaming. Like, you know, you can see him, like... And he's, like, banging lids together, you know. And it's very cartoon-esque, you know. And um, and then, of course, you know, he... He has like the giant thing of um, you know pins, and he drops the pins, and the pins make this gigantic crash because of course it goes opposite. Like everything goes super super loud in the movie, you know. And he uses all of their past against them, each of the kids, and you know, it's a really you know it's 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 like it's well done, you know. I really like it a lot. Um, so another character too is uh, Tracy, uh, who is played by Leslie Dean. Um, Leslie Dean is really cool. She's, she's great in the movie. She also lives through it too. And it's kind of surprising that she lives through to the end of the film. Um, she's a pretty, pretty wild chick. She, she was a a Dallas cowboy cheerleader and she is, um, part of a band called scary cherry and the bang bangs, which is a great name for a band. Uh, if you watch, uh, uh, never, never sleep again, they interview her and she's so interesting. She's sitting there with like, like blood down the middle of her face, like makeup, like with blood down the middle of her face. And like, she has this like woman that's just like wrapped around her, like her head in her lap, like looking up at her. And it's just very surreal when you watch the interview with her. Cause you're like, what is going on? And I assume this is someone from her band, you know, I never really looked into it too hard, but it was pretty cool. I was like, she's just so interesting, you know, and she tells all these really funny stories about like, you know, Robert England apparently really punched her in the face and she has like a scar from him and he didn't mean to, uh, but he really punched her in the face in a scene. And, you know, she, she's quite interesting. I, I like her a lot and she's great in the movie. Um, so of course, some other great people to mention, like the other person that's wonderful in it is the doctor doc is played by Yafet Kodo who uh, played Parker in alien. And he's wonderful in the movie. You know, he's wonderful in everything. He's a great character actor. He's been in, Law and Order and, and just tons of stuff over the years, you know. Of course, he was he was the great, great Parker in Alien. We love him. And um, so much, some other great cam- – there's cameos in this movie, of course. Uh, when they go back to Springwood, there's a childless couple, of course, played by Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr, uh, who were, you know, really big at the time. So they came in and played uh, a childless couple that kind of chase after the kids. They want to, you know, adopt them when they come into town. Uh, there's also a great cameo with um, Johnny Depp, uh, who comes in and plays, um, uh, he plays himself, actually, in the drug ad. You know, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. And um, it's it's really great. You know, he, he's really funny in it and everything. And, and uh, of course, Freddie hits him in the head with the frying pan. And, you know, that's the end of. It's <laughs> the end of Johnny Depp, um, <laughs> but it's a it's a great little moment in it. I, I definitely like that one a lot. Um, so uh, some other things to mention in it too is um, 
wonderful scene in the film is they do like flashbacks during the movie, you know, to kind of give like some backstory on Freddie because they're talking about his, you know, he was married and he had a kid. And then, of course, they go even further back into his psyche. And uh, Toby Sexton plays teen Freddie. He plays Freddie as like a teenager. And I'll tell you, Toby Sexton did an amazing job. He, uh, when they interviewed him in Never Sleep Again, he was talking about how um, he you know, he basically went to Robert England and just kind of studied him and talked to him a lot about how he played the role. And he definitely, I mean, you, you believe like when you watch it, that he is, you know, he's, he is Freddie. He is like a teenage version of Freddie. It's a definite, um, it's a, it's just a, it's not even imitation. It's just a really, really great performance. Um, and I like that a lot actually. So, um, you know, that's, that's one of the fun, the fun parts of that movie. I like that. And of course, um, that is also Robert Sexton is also, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought just for a second there. Um, so Robert Sexton is, um, in the scene, he's also, you know, talking to his father and the father is played by the wonderful Alice Cooper, the fantastic, wonderful Alice Cooper, who we love so much. Um, and he's he's amazing in it. Obviously, he plays you know he just he's so creepy and 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 fantastic. And apparently, Alice Cooper would only do it if um, he didn't look like Alice Cooper. That's actually what he said to them. He said, "If if you make me up and I don't look like myself, like my my persona," that he said, "Then I will you know I'll do the movie. I'll 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 do it." And of course, they said, "Yeah, absolutely. You can you can do it however you want, and you know that's that's totally fine." So. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty cool. I love that story a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, some other neat things about this movie and, you know, just neat little tidbits about it. Peter Jackson actually wrote a treatment of, uh, of this movie and he, um, you know, got a, like a nice little relationship going with new line and, uh, the movie, his, sorry, his screenplay was not used And, but it did like set the groundwork for him having a relationship with new line. And then of course that led into him doing Lord of the Rings. So, um, and, and apparently new line was very notorious for that is they would get relationships with people and then they would like help them out later, you know, and, uh, Peter Jackson is definitely one of them, you know, when he decided he wanted to do the Lord of the Rings series, um, they, you know, they got right on board with that. So that's pretty cool. I love that story. Um, there's some great pictures of him too. If you watch the documentary where you see him, um, you know, writing and, and he's so young, younger, you know, and, uh, it's pretty fun. I like that. Uh, it was the only 3d film in the series. Um, the 3d is a little cheesy at the end of the movie, you know, when the little Freddy, like, I don't know, they look like little Freddy sperms or something come out of his head and they, like, come at the screen real fast. It's just, you know, it's okay. It's not not great. <laughs> um, and when another neat thing that I did not realize and I was doing, do- it just had never dawned on me when I'd watched the film is actually Freddy does not kill anyone with a glove, dur- with the glove during this, uh, during this movie. I think it's the only one in the series that he doesn't kill at least one person with the glove. Um... And, uh, yeah, he, he doesn't kill anyone with it, but of course he's killed at the end by his daughter with the glove. (laughs) So, you know, that's kind of neat. I like that. Um, I like this movie overall, you know, it's, it's a favorite, um, in the series it's, it's cause it's, it's silly and it, and it doesn't take itself too seriously, which is always enjoyable. I think, like I said, I think you could compare it very easily to when, uh, the child's play series went over with Bride of Chucky. I think it's that same kind of, um, 
silly, fantastical kind of, you know, um, funny storytelling. They definitely like did little cartoon moments, you know, when Freddie like rolls out the bed of nails to stop the, you know, it's so like, you know, Tex Avery cartoon. It's, it's, you know, and I like that. I like that. I think that, I think that, uh, the series kind of needed that, but then of course it, it took a turn, uh, back to the very serious and very wonderful, which we'll talk about next week. So of course, um, that is, uh, all I have to say about those three in the series. And next week we're going to be talking about Wes Craven's new nightmare, which is the next one. And, Freddy versus Jason, which I love too. So I love both of those movies and I'm kind of glad I have like the whole time to talk about the two of them because I, I like both of them very much and have a lot to say about them. So I hope you enjoyed this week's series. Um, I, uh, I've really enjoyed doing this, this series. I, you know, I, I think it's a fantastic way to break it up and a lot of fun. So I, I hope you guys are enjoying it too. And um, that's about it. Stay spooky. Bye.